Hi, listeners. Welcome back to Adopting the Podcast. As always, I'm so excited to be your host for this journey. I'm Nicole Witt, Executive Director of the Adoption Consultancy, where we guide pre-adoptive parents step-by-step through the adoption journey. In Adopting the Podcast, we focus on the issues, questions, and concerns you have as you get started in your adoption journey. This is for people just considering brand new to or early in the process who are trying to get their questions answered and figure out their best path forward. Also to learn about what to expect and how the process works. So I talk to lots and lots of people who are considering adoption. And one of the greatest fears I hear is that they will get scammed. Of course, that's a totally understandable fear, even though it happens far less often than people think. Uh, But it's just natural for it to be a concern since adoptive parents do obviously have a lot to lose if a placement doesn't go through. It costs them time. uh, There is an emotional toll. And of course, there's a financial risk as well. So not to downplay the first two, but it's the financial risk that seems to cause the most concern because that's the one that could really keep people from being able to move forward with another match. Regardless, I find that most pre-adoptive parents are totally understanding that an expectant mom who is considering placing her child for adoption may have a change of heart and choose to parent. Uh, Although that's not the outcome that the adoptive parents are hoping for, they generally understand and support the birth mom in making that choice. On the other hand, the area that tends to cause a lot more angst is the idea of getting scammed by someone who never intends to place their baby in the first place. Um, maybe there isn't even a baby because she's not even pregnant, or maybe she is a he hiding behind a computer and, and wreaking havoc on vulnerable families. So this is the scenario that I receive tons of questions about. As I've alluded to, I think it's important to preface the following conversation with the fact that this doesn't happen nearly as often as people fear that it does. The vast majority of matches proceed to placement. And another piece of good news, relatively speaking, is that a true scammer is pretty easy for your adoption professionals to spot. Normally, those situations get weeded out even prior to a match, and pre-adoptive parents would never even hear about them. In those instances when they do get as far as a match, the scam is usually recognized well prior to the birth of the baby. But today we're going to talk about an important distinction between the different types of scammers, some red flags to look out for, and the best way you can protect yourself from getting duped. To help me do this, I would like to welcome Brian Esser, Esquire of the Law Office of Brian Esser. Brian is a solo practitioner whose practice focuses on building families through adoption, surrogacy, and assisted reproductive technology. He's a former member of the board of directors of the National LGBT Bar Foundation, where he served two terms as the board's president, a fellow of the Academy of Adoption and ART Attorneys, and a member of the ABA's Family Law Section Committees on Adoption and Assisted Reproductive Technology. Thank you so much for being here, Brian. Thank you so much, Nicole. It's great to uh, to be here and uh, get a chance to talk to your listeners. Thank you. Let's just um, dive right in by starting with the two different types of scammers, which I think are more commonly known in adoption circles as the financial scammer and the emotional scammer, right? So a lot of people, their initial thinking when they think of scams is just to think of a financial scammer. And if somebody isn't asking for money, they think, oh, this can't be a scam, right? Do you see a lot of both of those scenarios? 
I do. I mean, to be perfectly honest, I think the emotional scammers almost exceed, you know, in either number or frankly, tenacity, the financial scammers. You know, the financial scammers, like you said at the top, often those are really easy to, you know, to weed out. You know, some of the better ones, you know, it it can be a little bit harder and it takes more time. But the emotional scammers, you know, can be so difficult, you know, and frankly, can be so draining. You know, they're the types of strange individuals. And I'm not a student of abnormal psychology, so I couldn't really explain their motivations. You know, but they're, they're folks who get on the phone with my clients and we'll talk to them for, you know, for an hour or more. And, you know, they'll talk about, you know, their vision for, you know, what host placement looks like. They'll talk about their, their life circumstances and, you know, they'll just, they'll just get my, my clients, you know, all kind of revved up and feeling Mm -hmm. like, oh, this is a, this is a great match. You know, we really feel like we have a connection with this young woman. You know, we really feel like, you know, something's happening here and, you know, they're so excited. They're talking about names of the baby, all this kind of stuff. I mean, like real tugging at the heartstrings kind of things. Right. But then they just never take it to the next level in terms of the process, in terms of, you know, returning, you know, required requests for information like a social and medical history or, you know, a release so that we could get access to, you know, pregnancy records. And the other thing I think that sort of hooks folks in is these emotional emotional scammers don't ask for money, you know? And so, so there is a sense that, well, she can't be scamming us because there's been no financial request. Exactly. And and in some ways that's, that's actually kind of the opposite, you know, I mean, because she's, you know, she's wasting their time, you know, she's, you know, potentially wasting, you know, my time as an attorney and, you know, I do bill by the hour. So, you know, like, so, so it's not as if, you know, there's no, you know, financial repercussion for folks, but the object that, you know, they're trying to get is not money. It's, it's trying to get attention. Yeah. And it, like you said, I mean, we're not psychologists, but it, it is quite sad in a way, you know, it, it seems like maybe they've just never been the center of attention. And, and I guess that's what they're getting out of this. And, and usually, you know, the cases I've heard about, they have a lot of drama right, going in in their life. And, and a lot of those conversations that you were referring to, the long conversations seem to need to take place in the middle of the night or, or at yes. very inconvenient hours. So, so those yeah. are some, some clues, I guess, for, for people where, where that's happening. Have, have you seen an increase in the emotional scammers during the pandemic when more and more aspects of the adoption process are happening virtually? I think there have been, yeah, some uptick on that, you know, in part because a lot of the things that, you know, that people would do to, you know, to kind of weed out some of these scams, you know, where if the expectant woman is within, you know, like an easy, you know, day trip, you know, for adoptive parents to go, to go meet with her, I'm finding that, you know, my clients aren't doing that, or at least they, they weren't during the height of the pandemic, right. right? You know, because of travel restrictions, because of, you know, their reasonable fears about COVID exposure and things like that. And certainly pre-vaccination, you know, people weren't doing that. I think there was more of that. And, you know, I think there was also, you know, you had those emotional scammer types. They were, you know, they were home by themselves and they had nothing better to do than to, right. you know, stir the pot and cause trouble for somebody else. Yeah. Yeah. 
Jumping back over to the financial scammers, when you and I were communicating prior to this recording, you mentioned the two types of financial scammers or or the two types, not necessarily of scammers. I guess a scammer could use both of them, but two types of the financial scams. Do you want to elaborate on that a bit for us? I'm borrowing from a 30 Rock episode, actually, when I talk about the difference between sort of a short grift and a long con. There was a, there was an episode where they were uh, talking about that. I find that there's kind of two basic people. There's, there's this sort of, there's the short grift, you know, where it's, I saw your profile. You are exactly the family that I want to raise my child, you know, all this kind of, you know, lovey dovey stuff, but I don't have a place to sleep tonight and I need you to send me $200 or, You know, like there's some other sort of like, you know, financial ask like that. It's not a large ask, you know, but it's, it's an immediate financial need. And, you know, they're not, they're not 100% leading with, you know, finances, but like the finance piece is there. And sometimes it's a very emotional one, right? Like I'm hungry, right? We can, yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. I I feel like I, I hear a lot of, I don't have a place to sleep tonight, which Mm -hmm. like, you know, and like I'm nine months pregnant and, you know, it's a hundred degrees here in Arizona and, you know, it's not safe for me to sleep outside that kind of thing. But yeah, definitely like I'm hungry and, you know, like baby needs food or my doctors tell me I need this medicine, you know, something like that. And we know absolutely nothing about this person, you know, like we don't, we don't have a proof of pregnancy. We don't, you know, we have no information about them, but they, they want a few bucks, you know, right away. And, you know, adoptive parents think like, okay, well, you know, I can send that 200 bucks. It's not like a huge deal in my budget. And, you know, maybe it's not, you know, maybe you could afford to lose that $200, but, you know, on some level it's, you know, it's the principle of the thing. And also, you know, when you send that, 200 that first $200, you know, like that doesn't, that doesn't solve the problem of their housing, you know, or, you know, or long-term solving the problem of, you know, of food insecurity or something like that. And so you can expect that like, okay, if it was, you know, a hundred bucks today, it's going to be 200 bucks tomorrow and $500 next week. And, you know, and suddenly your short grift is going to turn into a long con. You know, so the other folks that, that that I feel like I see, and these are, these are a lot more difficult to weed out or the, the people who participate somewhat in the process, you know, that we set out, you know, where we say like, okay, yeah, we're, we're willing to talk to you about, you know, about financial assistance, but we need you to return a social and medical history. We need a HIPAA release, you know, and once that's done, you know, we need you to, to talk to a lawyer, you know, or an agency or whatever it is, you know, in that state. And, and so they'll do some of these things and they'll kind of slow play it and, mm-hmm. you know, documents are in the mail and, oh yeah, I mailed that even though, you know, I gave them a FedEx label with, right. you know, so that I get the, so that I get the email receipts, you know, so I know if it's been tendered to FedEx, stuff like that, or, you know, we get confirmation that, yeah, they've received care, you know, at a certain medical facility, but then it takes like, you know, they know it's going to be one that takes like six weeks to turn around records, which like some of the big university yes. hospitals are like that. Yes. And so then, and so they're asking for help in that, in that interim time. And then it's only when we get, you know, records back and we find out that like the care that they received was for something totally not pregnancy related. And, you know, we've, we've paid for, you know, hundreds of pages of medical records to be printed only to find out that, you know, that there's no, there's no pregnancy, there's no baby. Right. And, you know, it's, it's interesting. Some of these folks have continued to ask for money and have continued to be in contact with us right until the time that 
you know, we get those records that we get, you know, sort of lack of confirmation of pregnancy, you know, and I'm suggesting that like I've been, that my clients have been scammed a lot, but that is not the case, but (laughs) they'll continue to work it even though, you know, they're just like minutes away from, you know, being found out. It's similarly an interesting phenomenon of like, you know, the psychology. It it is. It really is. Now, as you've been alluding to, although the pre-adoptive parents should definitely rely heavily on their team of adoption professionals to keep them out of these high-risk situations. It's, of course, never a bad idea for everyone to know what some of the most common red flags are. One of the big ones is that the adoptive parents receive unsolicited contact from the supposedly expectant mom via social media. Do you find that most of the scam situations you see are initiated that way? You know, I'm in New York and as a lawyer in New York, I'm not allowed to make matches. So, you know, my, my clients have to be contacted directly by expectant parents in the first place. So, so that's not necessarily a red flag, you know, for us in New York. That's, you know, that's actually kind of a typical way for, for folks to be contacted. But, you know, it does seem like there are some, some modes like, I feel like Instagram is a little bit less reliable in terms okay. of you know, folks that are reaching out. And Facebook actually, interestingly, does seem to be a little bit more reliable in terms of um, a platform for, for making matches. Okay. That's interesting. That's interesting. What are some of the other red flags that you see? Some of the details maybe of their story, which sometimes can be completely valid, but maybe are just worth kind of raising people's antenna, you know, for, for them to dig a little bit deeper. Yeah. I feel like one that I see a lot that it's always a sign that something else is going on is, is when I hear that the birth father passed away recently, that during the height of the pandemic in the US, it was, you know, he just recently died of COVID. More commonly, it had been, you know, car accident or motorcycle accident. Mm-hmm. I feel like those are, those are scenarios that, that I've both seen and have read about with other people. And then you don't get the death certificate. I mean, because if, you know, if we were actually getting the death certificate, then I'd, I'd probably buy into it. But, um, you know, but we're told I can get that from his family and, you know, and then it just never, it never comes in. I've had scenarios where, you know, there are twins involved supposedly. Mm-hmm. And, and the proposal is that we're going to break up the twins that, you know, that one twin would be, you know, would be placed for adoption. And then, then the, the parent intends to, you know, the expected parent wants to parent the other twin. And my clients have always found that, you know, like even leaving aside, like whether that's, you know, uh, kind of a scammy scenario, like nobody right. wants to get involved in, right. you know, right. in, in potentially separating a set of twins that just doesn't, just doesn't feel ethical and doesn't feel right. I'm trying to think of some other but I think just, just twins in general, even if they're talking about placing both of them, again, mm-hmm. I've certainly had lots of clients adopt twins in, in completely up and up situations, but it is something that should get people to dig a little deeper because the, the uh, scammers know that a lot of adoptive parents love the idea of adopting twins, right? They're going through this whole process and they're thinking, well, we want two kids. Wouldn't it be great if we only had to go through this once? And especially especially when they say it's a a set of boy girl twins, right? They know that that's just going to draw people in because they want that so badly to be true. So that's definitely one that people should dig a little deeper for sure. When they hear about the twin situations. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, who, who wouldn't want to for the price of one, Right. (laughs) you know, it, it, it sounds like a, it sounds like a great idea, but, um, but yeah, I mean, especially when you consider the naturally occurring twins are like, like at 
it's really, they're really quite rare, right? I mean, right. it's like 2% of all pregnancies. So, you know, if, if you were approached to adopt a set of twins, I mean, it's almost, you know, buy a lottery ticket, you know, I mean, because, <laughs> like, you're, cause your, your luck is, uh, is high. Right. Also there, um, there can be almost threats, sometimes thinly veiled, sometimes not so much. Right. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. That's a good one. You know, things like scenarios that I feel like I see are if you don't do X, Y, Z, you know, I'm going to parent and you think, okay, well, you know, on what level does that make sense? Right. You know? I mean, like if, if you, if you did have the resources to parent, wouldn't you just parent? And so, you know, you do have to, it does have to, to get your antenna up when, when you're starting to, to get that. And, you know, similarly, like if you're not going to do, you know, if you're not going to play by my rules, then, you know, I'm going to find a different family. And, you know, sometimes it's the, the right move to just, you know, call the bluff and say like, okay, well, you know, if, you know, if it's got to be your way or the highway, then, you know, then we'll just walk away. I mean, cause it's, you know, it, particularly when it comes to money, the, the sort of, you know, big picture taking, you know, a lot of steps back is the focus really should be on the child, you know, in this entire process, the parent's primary focus should be making a, you know, safe and secure and stable adoption plan for the child. Yeah. And, you know, if, if other things are getting in the way of that, you know, and if money is becoming the biggest thing that you're talking about, you know, you're, you know, that you're not dealing with somebody whose priority is the child. It's, you know, it's either themselves or, you know, it's finances or it's whatever it is, but, but it's not the child and that's never going to work out. And even if she does make an adoption plan with you, you know, it's going to be a really tumultuous relationship and you need to think about if that's something that you want to be involved in. Yeah, I think that's a really important point because when you were saying that, I was thinking, you know, there there can be very valid cases where the expectant mom is saying, you know, I need X, Y, Z for this to make sense for me. And if, if you're not the family who's willing to provide that, then you're not the right family. And then that's okay if you're not the right family, right? I, I know that people so desperately, of course, want to adopt and want to become parents, but it does have to be that that good match, right? Otherwise, like you said, it will be very tumultuous and it increases the chances of it not working out, even if it's not a scam. So um, it is important for people to have their boundaries and to stick to that regardless. And if that ends up weeding out a scam for them, then even better. Right? That's right. That's right. That's um, right. Yeah. You mentioned the, you know, and if you don't do this, I'm, I'm going to parent, you know, one of the things that, that I've heard too, which again, if you really dig into it, it, it doesn't logically make sense, but it catches people's emotions is that, you know, if, if you don't adopt this baby, if you're not the family, then I'm going to have an abortion. Right. And, and that one, it just, the logic doesn't hold, right. If, if, she was comfortable with having an abortion, that may well be what she chose to do in the beginning. Why would it be this one family instead of another family, right? She's right. Uh, most expectant moms are not actually making the choice between abortion and adoption. They're usually choosing between adoption and parenting, right? So, yeah. um, so again, the logic doesn't really hold up, but when people are so caught up in the situation, obviously that's really going to pull at their heartstrings. Yeah, I think that's definitely right. And I mean, you know, you also have to think about like, you know, where is she in the pregnancy? I mean, is this even, you know, a realistic option? You know, unless there's 
medical issue, it's very difficult to terminate a pregnancy after 20 weeks. And so in some ways, it's quite possibly a hollow threat. And like you say, even if it, even if it is, you know, theoretically possible, like, you know, how does, how does that make sense? You know, right. How does it make sense that she's going to carry the, the pregnancy to term if she really thinks that, you know, the terminating the pregnancy is probably the better option for. Right. Right. Exactly. Okay. So let's move on to what people can do to protect themselves. Obviously, you know, one of the big things is having a team of reputable professionals to guide you through the process and to lean heavily on that team. So what are some of the things you recommend to your clients? For instance, if they are getting that, that short grift, right? Like I need a place to sleep, like what should they do? How can they avoid being scammed? First thing that I always tell my clients is, is that don't have conversations with money. I I mean, about money with this, with an expectant parent that, you know, if the subject of money comes up, that that question should be referred to me. I actually then take it a step further where I don't like to have conversations, you know, with expectant parents uh, who don't already have either their own attorney, if it's not an agency state, or if we don't have an agency involved. Because I know New York law, but I'm not licensed to practice in all 50 states. And if the birth parent, if the expectant parent is in a different state, I don't want us to run afoul of, you know, of that other state's law. And then we jeopardize the entire mm-hmm. placement. So first and foremost is, you know, we're, we're dealing with these conversations, you know, lawyer to lawyer or, you know, me to adoption agency, you know, whatever. So that's, that's first step so that we're taking the clients out of it. And, you know, that, that brings down sort of the emotional tenor, you know, the other, the other thing is before we even get to the point of talking about, you know, providing help with living expenses, First of all, we need that social and medical history, and then we need independent confirmation of pregnancy. It's way too easy these days for somebody who's a dedicated scammer to find an ultrasound, you know, or something like that on the internet. And, you know, with graphics editing technology, you can take out the, you know, original person's name, you can change the date, you know, you can do all these types of things, and that's easy to do. So that's, you know, an, an ultrasound is not, you know, is not sufficient, you know, to be proof of pregnancy. We, we really need, you know, records from, you know, from the OBGYN. So, so those are sort of the, I think it's the biggest thing that they can do is just be patient and not fall for the sort of the, you know, immediate emotional, you know, ask for financial assistance. Wait until you have a complete file and a complete picture. And then we can start looking at, you know, what expenses make sense, you know, and then also work out a budget. And then, Mm -hmm. you know, we're going to stick to the budget. So, and just to reiterate that key point is not to fall for that in the beginning, not to send the money, not to give money directly without going through your agency or attorney. And also one point you made, I want to circle back to in terms of her, the the expectant mom having support, whether it's through an agency Mm -hmm. or an attorney. So she, you know, may not have that at the beginning or may say she doesn't have that. And, you know, the hopeful adoptive parents can give her contact information, but it's very important that they ask her 
to reach out to that legal entity, right? The legal entity cannot reach out to her because then they, that could be coercion, right? And if she is serious about wanting to place the child, she will be happy to do that because then, like you've said, she can start getting legal support, emotional support, mm-hmm. financial support. If she balks at that and says, well, let's save some money and let's do it without an attorney involved. Or, no. I don't want to make that call. Then that's when people should run in the other direction. right? <laughs> for, for sure. For sure. And I mean, I, you know, I get it. I mean, you know, a lot of my clients, I'm the first lawyer that they've ever hired, you know, like, you know, most of us go through our lives without needing to retain attorneys to do things for us. And depending on the background of the expectant parent, I mean, they might not have had good experiences with lawyers in the past. You Mm -hmm. know, if they've had, they've had family members who, you know, have had, you know, kids removed, you know, put in foster care or contact with the criminal justice system you know, lawyers don't, you know, did not help their families. And so, you know, so they don't, they don't view lawyers as like, you know, contact with lawyers or adoption agencies or anything like that is like a positive support. And so I get that hesitation and that hesitation makes sense, but it's the process and, you know, everybody needs to follow the process to make sure that, you know, everybody's rights are protected and that, you know, ultimately that this, you know, adoption placement is going to be Great advice. And I I think before we kind of wrap up, just going back to reiterating the point that this does not happen as often as people fear. I mean, spending all this time talking about it, it does make it seem like it happens all the time, but um, it's not that frequent of an occurrence. So people should, should take heart in that. Before we wrap up, is there anything else about this topic that you want to add? Anything you wish I had asked you that I haven't? I don't think so. This has been a this has been a really great talk. I think we've covered a lot of ground. Um, I hope this gives a lot of people a lot of food for thought, you know, and does just help people, you know, understand that you know while there are some you know sketchy individuals out there looking to take advantage of folks, most of them are really easy to 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 spot, and it's just not overly likely that that folks are going to be caught up in a scam. Great. Great. So yeah. So on that note, let's wrap up. Let me thank you again, Brian. Um, It's Brian Esser Esquire with the law office of Brian Esser. And you can reach him at Esser, that's E-S-S-E-R, EsserLawOffice.com. And listeners, most of all, I'd like to thank you for tuning in. I hope you've learned something today that will allow you to move forward on your adoption journey with more peace of mind. Please be good to yourselves. Take care and I'll catch you next time.